0: Good evening. Welcome to the Brixton Book Jam. We've got some great writers lined up for you this evening. And first of all, I'm going to welcome to the stage Chris Chalmers, who was born in Lancashire and lives in southwest London. He's been the understudy on Mastermind, had lunch with Donny Brasco and swum with Marine Iguanas. He's written a diary for 39 years and never missed a night. And his first novel, Five to One, about a helicopter crash on Clapham Common, Won a debut novel competition and was longlisted for the Polari First Book Prize. Tonight he's reading from his second novel, which has just been published. It's called *Light from Other Windows*. Please welcome to the stage Chris Chalmers. Good evening.
1: Thank you, and thank you for listening. Uh, *Light from Other Windows* is about a family that unravels when the youngest son goes on a gap year trip around the world uh, and gets caught in a tsunami. In this bit, Josh's family are at home, trying to get hold of him on his mobile. His best friend, Stella, has come round to compare notes on his last known whereabouts. At this point, Stella is alone in the kitchen with Rachel, Josh's older sister. Rachel leaned on the worktop. Stella was one of Josh's friends she'd always been aware of but never thought to talk to. She knew that Diana, their mother, saw her as a good influence after the way she'd helped him buckle down to his A-levels. Before that, the pair had famously been an item, years ago in a kiddie sort of way, out of which they'd morphed into best friends, which always struck Rachel as slightly odd for a boy as patently hetero as Josh. She raked her memory for enough scraps to make conversation. So, how are you liking uh, Leeds, isn't it? Stella took a moment to answer. It's cool, I guess. taken me a while to settle in. I miss my mates down here, though. That struck a chord. Rachel's own university days were far from the happiest of her life. That she'd ended up making a career in academia surprised her even now. It'll be nice when Josh, you know, said Stella. He had deferred a place at Sheffield to go travelling. Rachel had watched her brother at this very kitchen table with a ruler and a road atlas, measuring the distance between Sheffield and the cities where his friends were studying. Leeds was the nearest. Stella dropped the thread of conversation and picked up another. I hear you're getting married. Congratulations. Rachel smiled. But for the rest part of 24 hours, she hadn't given the wedding a thought. Oh, thanks, yeah, August. Still got it all to do. Yeah, I bet. There was no telling from the girl's dead demeanour whether Rachel was being humoured. Weren't strapless meringue dresses and receptions at Battersea Pump House toe-curling when you were 19? To tell the truth, it didn't do much for her and she was 32. Stella's interest seemed genuine. So, what's he like? But before Rachel could reply, the kitchen door opened. Colin, her stepfather, accompanied by the beat of Diana's feet, pounding upstairs. Rachel knew the sound of her mother on a mission. Did she find something? No, said Colin, but we're flying out there anyway. His tone said it wasn't his decision. His expression said he understood. Stella winced. Rachel wondered if she'd she'd been persuading herself that there was nothing to worry about, Decisive action had a way of breaking the spell. I'd better be going, said Stella, without looking up. If I hear anything, or if you do, you'll let me know, yeah? Of course we will, said Colin. Rachel found herself being hugged, not the hovering clinch of an air kiss or the sisterly squeeze she might expect on her wedding day if she'd had a sister, but an unembarrassed, bosom-bumping hug that made her flinch for the same reason Stella had. In the hall, Colin helped the girl into her coat. Should I go and say goodbye to Diana?" He shook his head. She'll be up to her eyes in booking flights by now. Best we let her get on with it. Stella nodded. Then she leaned in and hugged him, too. The front door gave a closing clunk. When Colin reappeared, Rachel was rinsing mugs. Nice, girl, he said. Her perfume was still with them, as light and citrus as her choice of tea. I can see why Mum wants to go, said Rachel. But is it a good idea? Didn't they say all the flights were disrupted? Her stepfather looked resigned. You know your mother. She'll swim there if we try and stop her. He took the biscuit tin from the dresser, helped himself to shortbread and left the lid off for her. Rachel found herself drying a mug on a tea towel, something she hadn't done in this house for years. The action gave her the oddest sensation of stepping outside of her life into a spotlight. It dawned on her she had no idea what she was meant to be doing today. She, who normally lived and died by her personal organizer, meeting out her life in term dates and tutorials, seminars and staff meetings. The replay of the front doorbell felt like another stage direction. One that she followed, scanning the worktops and table as she went, had Stella left her phone? The girl's dark silhouette on the doorstep was visible through the bald suite segments of the stained glass. Did you forget your... Her voice said to nothing. It wasn't Stella. Rachel chewed her lip moulding it to the edge of her teeth laced her fingers into a stirrup and cupped it to to her forehead as she let the door swing open and another hand close it she let the door swing open and another hand close it let two pairs of heavy controlled footsteps follow her up the hall Colin was munching another piece of shortbread his face froze when he caught sight of hers the house was silent an audience would have heard a biscuit crumb drop as Rachel said police thank you
0: Thank you very much, Chris. Okay, next we welcome to the stage Yana Steino, who was born in Zimbabwe and graduated in English and drama at Cape Town University. Meeting her husband at an anti-apartheid demonstration and leaving South Africa in the early 80s, they moved into a damp squat in Camden town. A bittersweet moment came when the death of her mother prompted Yana to put her imagination on paper and she began to write plays and short stories. When not writing, Yana's second love is painting. The owner of an artist studio at the Chocolate Factory Wood Green, Jana happily splashes paint and horse workshops with the Booster Cushion Company for Children. Rules for Thursday Lovers. Welcome to the stage, please, Jana Steiner.
2: Thank you very much for coming, and thank you very much for having me. Um, Okay, so rules for Thursday Lovers. Can you hear me? It sounds strange. Is that... Okay. World's okay. <coughs> Thursday Lovers is a story about two middle-aged women who feel that their lives are going nowhere, they have no romance, and what they decide is they want to share a timeshare, time share a lover. Um, and the bit <laughs> I'm going to read is a bit where one of them feels like she needs a bit of help uh, because things are unraveling a little... Uh, Fiona thumbed through the small ad column of the lady. Counseling, hypnosis, karate. Hmm. Under what category did the sort of reassurance she was seeking come? She tossed the book aside, paced about, had a coffee, and switched on Guy's computer. Could she Google being a sexually attractive woman? She tried it. Hmm. Several books on relationship problems surfaced, as well as the lunchtime classes in pole dancing. She downloaded the training video. The girl was nothing special, thought Fiona, shaking her own hips. But getting a pole installed in Ray's flat might prove difficult. There must be other aids for the less agile woman. Hmm, who would have them? Sex shops. She typed that onto the screen. Shopping always boosted her confidence. At any rate, they would, ha- they would have ex- experts on the subject. Several shops advertised in lurid, coloured, flashing logos. There was a small ad that promised discretion and good customer service. It was in Soho. She jotted down the address. She stepped out of Piccadilly Circus Station into the hatless throng of uncouth people who made London their business paper sellers, buskers, shoppers, beggars, women with pushchairs, men with briefcases and agendas, all getting in her way until she managed to find Marquis Special Care Shop, all tastes individually and discreetly catered for in an alley off Windmill Street. There was nothing discreet about the place, apart from possibly the dim lighting. The door and window frames were glossy reds and blacks, The mannequins in the window were trying to appear dominant in tight leather. When she peered past them, she could make out rails of things that looked more like long rubber bands than clothes. The shelves looked a bit more promising. Apart from inflatable penises in various sizes, they had things in boxes. These might store something useful. She looked left and right to see if anyone was giving giving her any attention Apart from a man slumped on a step, they weren't. She took a deep breath and entered. The interior decor was garish goth with chains hanging from the ceiling and a surplus of leather. Can I help you? asked somebody with the Yorkshire accent. Possibly, answered Fiona, unsure as to what she was really looking for in the whip and handcuff section. The assistant had perfect legs emerging from tiny leather shorts. She had knee-length blonde hair extensions and an architectured leave cleavage that Fiona wasn't sure was entirely female. Come to think of it, the voice was gruff for a woman's. Well, if there was a man under all that makeup, he could provide some expertise. Do you have anything other than sadomasochistic aids, Fiona asked. whips, tongs, and hanging hooks are our bread and butter.' "'I see. Fiona was becoming mesmerised by the way "'the strange person's tongued eyelashes "'encircled a cold pair of snake-like eyes. "'Something to interest a younger man.' "'This was a little too astute. "'Fiona looked round to see if anyone was listening. "'Could be,' she said. "'In that case,' oozed the assistant,' You may need a little help. If it weren't so urgent, Fiona would have slapped the man-woman's face. Don't worry, love, I'll take you in hand. Fiona took a step back. The assistant pulled scarlet leather thongs from the bottom shelf, gracefully allowing the street a view of... Metal-studded suspenders. She held one, then held another against Fiona's groin. They flapped there like doomed moths pinned to a a corkboard. Fiona, who prided herself on a tall, slim figure, suddenly felt like a behemoth. The assistant shook her hair. It crackled with static. No, a thong would be wasted on you, love, she said, herding the leather straps strips back into their burrow. It does say something for everyone in your advert, doesn't it? Fiona was ready to storm out. Oh, with you, love, we'd be better off keeping it dead simple. She he climbed a stepladder with full exposure of her own diamante thong and came back down with a dusty box marked Lithuanian, which she tipped open. Frilly basks cascaded onto the counter, I should start with some lingerie, Ducky. She teased the shape into something amorphous. And leave the sex toys for when you run out of puff.
0: Thank you, Yana. Next up, we have Toby Downton, who lives in North London and is head of business development at Matter, a digital innovation consultancy he co founded. Downton is emerging as a driving force in the VR revolution, and his novel, Sola Versia, is just the first step in his thrillingly ambitious multi platform storytelling experience that will explore the relationships between artificial intelligence, technology, and the human spirit. Downton will be incorporating his tech company, Spiral in the real world, developing Solar Versia as a commercially available game, ready to storm the game's market in 2020. Please welcome to the stage, Toby Downton. Hello. Uh,
3: yeah, so I'm Toby Downton, author of Solar Versia, um, and quickly just to say that the book is free, the kindle version of the book is free on amazon for today only for anyone who would uh, rather read it that way uh, and this is my first book and my first reading like this so I've been slightly conservative and chosen chapter 1 <laughs> the minute novenagrano heard about solaversia She was convinced she was going to love it with every ounce of her being. Enabled by virtual reality, a technology that had been promised again and again, but has only just come to fruition, this game was what she'd been dreaming of since she was a little girl. In Solar Versia, the normal rules of existence would cease to apply. It sounded like a magical world, a place to fight monsters, fly through the sky and explore the solar system and all from the comfort of her own home. From the expression on the face of her best friend Sushi Harrison, she wasn't the only one who felt that way. Who was it that sent you the link? Sushi asked, without looking up from her iPad. Burner, but it's been going mental on social media. He and Jono have already signed up. Sushi cleared her throat and read out the press release Burner had sent them. SolarVersia is billed as an exciting new form of entertainment fit for the 21st century. An amalgam of virtual, augmented and mixed realities, Spiralworks, the London-based company behind the game, claims that it integrates every form of digital entertainment that came before it. 100 million players will vie to be the last person standing through a series of challenges that blend racing, fighting, strategy, psychology, lateral thinking, creativity, popularity, and cold hard luck. SolarVersity will last an entire year and the Grand Champion will be awarded prize money rumoured to equal 10 million pounds. Their mouths drop wide open. 10 million? That's just for the winner. It pays a price to everyone in the top 1,000, and there'll be tens of thousands of quests throughout the year, paying their own bounties. Oh, my God. It even includes crazy karting, said Nova. This is insane. Check out the sign-up screen. The screen was blank, except for two counters and a button. The first counter, displaying the number of sign-ups, had just hit 15,000 and was rising rapidly. The second one displayed a timer and was ticking down to the game's start date on the 29th of February, 2020. We have to wait four years for it to start, Sue, she asked. That's the day after my 18th birthday. Nova grabbed her friend's hand. Do you think we'll still be best friends then? Are you kidding? Of course we will. If we can be best friends from 2 to 14, I think we're safe for life, aren't we? Nova nodded uncertainly but Seattle's such a long way from Maidstone. Let's both sign up to play. I bet you my winnings were still best friends when it starts. Okay, you're wrong, and we better had be. The girls spent the next couple of hours learning about the world of Solarversia and all it entailed. It was the pu- puzzle aspect of the game world that thrilled Nova the most. Although Crazy Karting was her favourite driving game, she was already ranked in the top few hundred players in the world, Her real passion was lateral thinking and puzzle solving. Brought up on a diet of Sudoku, crosswords and jigsaws, she had started to think of ways to create more complex puzzles of her own. When she stumbled upon a blog post that described the grand prize in more detail, she sat bolt upright and inhaled until her lungs were full. This is getting ridiculous. You'll never guess what the grand champion gets to do. Apart from working out how to spend 10 million pounds, you mean? Something way more important than that. Solar Versio is going to be a quadrennial event. After 2020, the next one doesn't start until 2024. And the grand champion of the first one will help to design the second one. Sush, I've just found my dream job. I absolutely, categorically need to win this thing. My life doesn't make sense without it. If you do win, I'd be happy to attend to the commercial side of the prize for you, ensuring the cash gets spent in a suitable manner, so you can, you know, focus your attention on the design aspect of the game. That's so like me, putting others first. Nova slumped into a pile of pillows. Game design had been the top of her list of jobs since she discovered that it was a thing. This was the daddy of all such jobs. And she'd need to beat a hundred million people to get it. If that wasn't the toughest job interview in history, she didn't know what was. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Toby. Okay, next we welcome to the stage Francis Mensa Williams who is the chief executive of Interims for Development Limited and the publisher of ReconnectAfrica.com. A careers and business website and online publication for African professionals And the diaspora with over 35,000 subscribers, she is the recipient of several awards and in 2011 was nominated as one of the top 20 inspirational females from the Africa diaspora in Europe. Resident in London, Francis was born in Kana, and as a child, lived in numerous countries, including the USA and Austria, before moving to the UK. Francis is the author of the non-fiction titles, Everyday Hero, Learning from the Careers of Successful Black Professionals, and I Want to Work in Africa, How to Move Your Career to the World's Most Exciting Continent, From Pasta to Pigfoot, is her first fiction novel. Please welcome to the stage, Francis Mensah Williams.
4: That sounded really posh, didn't it? (laughs) Hi, everyone. Um, Can I just apologize in advance for my Jamaican accent when I start reading this, okay? So, this book, From Pastor to Pigfoot, is about Faye Bonsu, who was born in Ghana but grew up in Hampstead. She's a bit of a Hampstead girl, really, and she's been going out with Michael. Michael is a journalist who covers black issues, and he's really into black culture. And he thinks Faye is really pathetic as far as black culture is concerned. So whenever Michael takes her out, it's usually when they're going to some event he's covering as part of his professional life. Today, however, he's taking her on a date to meet his friends for the first time. So she goes into the house and she's trying to just sort of be friendly and, and be comfortable. And a couple of people come into the room. The other man was white. Not a pale African, but white. Caucasian, European, white. Tall with curly fair hair that thinned at his temples, he had pale blue eyes that gave nothing away. He nodded briefly at Fay before he turned to Michael who was asking him a question. The shorter man slapped Luther on the back giving him a brief hug before turning his attention to Fay. His eyes were a surprisingly light brown and contrasted strikingly against his dark skin. Like Luther, he took his time to look her up and down before speaking. So Michael, he said finally, I take it this is the lady. Michael broke off his conversation with the taller man and glanced over at Faye, who was still sitting cross-legged on the cushion. Yes, he said. Barely suppressing his impatience at having to interrupt his conversation, he quickly went through the formalities. Faye, this is Jiggy, and he, he added gesturing towards the man in front of him, is Wesley. Jiggy is an artist from Trinidad. Wesley comes from Grenada. He's a sculptor and also a very talented musician. Faye smiled awkwardly at the two men, trying not to feel intimidated by their credentials. She murmured what was meant to be, pleased to meet you. But having sat without speaking for so long, the words came out sounding more like those of a frog suffering from chronic laryngitis. As she racked her brains unsuccessfully to find something charming, or at least witty to say, Michael turned the music up. At the same time, Philomena came back into the room carrying a tray, on which she had balanced two tall, dark bottles and several glasses in colors as vivid as her cushions. Okay, she announced lightly, drinks are here, people. Clearing a pile of magazines from a low table, she put the tray down. "Fay, what are you drinking, girl? The men can help themselves. We've got some mighty good rum here, straight from home. Fay smiled at her hesitantly, shifting uncomfortably on the cushion, which was now proving to be lumpier than she had first realized. I'd like a rum and coke then, please, she said politely, just as Michael stopped the music. As though the move had been choreographed, the heads of the four men in the room swiveled in her direction. Jiggy was the first to speak, his strongly accented voice breaking into the sudden silence. Huh? What's that, Faye? You want to mix our sacred nectar with a Coca-Cola drink? He looked incredulous and his short dreadlocks bounced in outrage as he turned towards Michael. Michael, what have you been teaching her all this time? Although he tried to keep his tone light, it didn't take a genius to pick up the disapproval now flowing from him. I'm not a very big drinker, Faye said defensively, and threw a look of appeal at Michael, silently begging for support. Swiftly distancing himself from her cultural anarchy, he just shrugged and glared at her as though she were a tiresome child he'd been forced to look after. Go on, Faye, just try and see. This is real Jamaican rum, you know. Not that rubbish you get in Hampstead pubs, he snapped. So it doesn't go very well, unfortunately. And Faye um, finds that she's a little bit out of her depth culturally. This leads her to really start questioning herself. And fortuitously, she gets the chance to go on a trip to Ghana to find out a bit more about her culture and to try and get a bit more confidence about herself. Now, she's staying with a family called the Asante family, and their daughter, Amma, becomes a very good friend and is about to take her to the beach on her second day there to meet her friends. And she has some interesting friends. So they're in the car heading off. Amma drove skillfully, weaving her way in and out of the traffic and cleverly dodging the careless taxi drivers who stopped without warning to drop off and pick up passengers. Faye scrutinized the passing landscape with interest, amazed at the contrast between the smooth modern dual carriageway and the wide open gutters alongside. At one point, Amma was forced to slow to a halt to allow some errant goats That had escaped their owner to cross the highway. Imagine a bunch of goats crossing the North Circular Road as you're driving through Finchley, Faye thought in amusement, turning round to watch the young boy racing after the animals in his charge. They turned onto another dual carriageway and sped past rickety shop fronts and kiosks, most of which were closed. Faye gasped with delight as the sparkling blue of the sea came into view. She could see the white foam at the edge of the waves curling into the sand while further out to sea, a couple of small boats bobbed lazily on the water. Amma takes her to go and introduce her to some of the friends, and one of them is a young man who's sitting on the mat called James Brown, alias JB. James Brown looked around 25. He was small in build and very dark and wore his hair in a full round afro. His only clothing was a pair of black swimming shorts and a heavy gold chain around his neck. A gold signet ring sat loosely on his thin middle finger. And as he smiled in greeting, a glint of gold was clearly visible in the gap between his two front teeth. Unlike Edwin, he didn't stand up or try to shake Faye's hand. Instead, he tapped a skinny forefinger against his forehead, before pointing it at Faye with a loud psh, as if firing a gun, all the while flashing his gold-tinged smile. How are you doing? His voice was high with an accent that sounded to Faye like a cross between a Texan and a Korean. The girl sitting next to him rolled her eyes, clearly not impressed by JB's performance. Her generous cleavage was almost spilling out of a low-cut stretchy black t-shirt that seemed to have reached the full extent of its elasticity. Even seated, her colorful wraparound skirt could not hide what appeared to be very sizable hips. Her hair was braided into short plaits that framed a small face with penetrating dark eyes and four pouting lips. She smiled engagingly at Faye and reached out a languid arm, encased in jingling gold bangles. Hello, I'm Barbara, she said. Her voice was surprisingly deep and incredibly sexy. Faye smiled back and murmured a greeting. Her attention was immediately diverted by the sight of a new arrival. He had clearly been swimming, and his low-slung black swimming shorts highlighted a muscular abdomen and perfectly sculpted muscles. He picked up a towel from the beach mat, wiped his face, and turned to smile at Faye, displaying a dazzling set of even white teeth. Transfixed, Faye simply could not tear her gaze away. Ghana was definitely proving to be a very attractive adventure. Thank you.
0: very much Francis we're going to take a short break and just time to remind you that we have books for sale in the corner over there Emma and Sheila all the books from the writers this this evening will and you may possibly get one of them signed if you go and ask and a discount so uh, check them out in the corner go and have a smoke we're back in 15 minutes okay